the less I care. Now we're riding the rainbow, the clouds big, and we're making it like hell. Now we're riding the rainbow, the clouds big, and we're making it like hell. Hi, everybody. This is the Arts Report. This is the、uh, show for March the 11, 2015. As you can tell, the date is correct. That means Jake is not here today. You are joined by host Rohit and me, Ashley. And、um, Jake is actually away on TED Talks, but it's okay. We got a really packed show. We have a bevy. That we do. Yeah, we have a bevy of artistic express,、uh, expressions and the cultural meanings behind them. We're also pr-、uh, really proud to invite onto our show a special guest from the Armenian Students Association,、uh, the president,、uh, Avidas Muradin, and、um, and、uh, he's going to speak about a、uh, actually a terrible、uh, atrocity and how poetry is used to bring awareness and a voice to this issue. We'll also be discussing transmigration, a dance show presented by the Kahawi Dance Theater, coming soon to Vancouver at the Colch, in which we also have an interview with the artistic director. And following that, we have arts reporters Jacob Gershkovich、uh, interview for a play called Harvey at King David High School. In addition, arts reporter、uh, Lola raw grandeur Vancouver coverage, and also local events happening in UBC and Vancouver. One being the Five Days for Homeless. So, first of all, welcome to the show, Avidas. Thanks for having me. And I believe that you are the president at, of the Armenian Students Association. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And can you tell us more about what the club does at UBC? Well, we're very involved in a number of issues,、um, which are not purely、uh, cultural. They're also very political,、mm-hmm. and、um, we're trying to remedy a lot of the、uh, a lot of the historical tensions that that、uh, that are still present here in Canada.、Um, so,、uh, as many of you must know, it's the centenary of the Armenian genocide, and.、Um, As as people who suffer genocides, Ar- Armenians are very committed to human rights issues,、mm-hmm. and we feel that、um, some of these issues are underrepresented at UBC, and we'd like、mm-hmm. to bring more awareness to that. Right, right now,、um, when you mean like、uh, political stuff being underrepresented, do do you guys feel that maybe like students in UBC that we're kind of apathetic because we're not exposed to these events, or、um, is what 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 do you guys think that we should do to kind of get more politically aware of what's happening around just our kind of personal bubble and with the world? Well, absolutely, I feel that UBC is very isolated from from the outside world. I mean,、uh, our campus is surrounded by a huge forest, and it takes a while. <laughs> <to get laughs> yeah.、It. Um, so it, it's it's a very it's a very difficult task because as you know, st- students are very busy with their schoolwork and.、Mm-hmm. There's there's a plethora of of things that you, people might be interested in. They most certainly don't have time to do all those. But、um, what we try to do is, despite all the sh-、uh, limitation in terms of resources and time, we try to ra- raise a, as much aw- awareness as possible、mm-hmm. to things that that feel very close to people. And、um, one of the one of those one of the ways we do that is, for example, through poetry. Um, so the Armenian Student Association and Hillel BC are going to organize a poetry contest,、uh, which which will, will be held on the 29th. That's the final. That's、uh, the deadline, right?、Uh, the deadline is on March 20th, and on March 29th,、uh, mm-hmm. the the prizes will be handed out.、Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. 
Um, so let me tell you about the contest, the poetry contest. The theme is genocide. It's very open. Uh, you can talk about racial violence, ethnic strife, ethnic mm -hmm. cleansing, uh, severe human rights uh, violations. Everything is open. We just want to we just want to get you engaged in in a lot of these human rights issues which go neglected on campus. I think it's really great that you're using poetry as a vehicle to really spread awareness of an issue, and it's like an artistic kind of representation of what happened, what people feel. And sometimes, I, I, I think this is really sad, but people tend to tune out when people are talking about an issue. They're like, you know, this is some kind of like, you know, talk, talk, talk. But I think when you're kind of um, looking at art or when you're reading literature or when you're engaging with poetry, there is a sense of individual reflection that you do. Like when you look at a piece of art, when you take, uh, when you t read a poem, you take your time to really kind of see how does this affect me, whereas with talking people let it go from one year to the other year. So I'm really happy that you're using poetry to bring awareness, to have people reflect and also think deeply about an issue, not just like this is bad, done, but like this is bad, you know, what can we do to kind of fix it? And, you know, is, it, is there a way for people to get involved at your club? Uh, yes, uh, let me first address um uh, what you talked about, mm -hmm. uh, personal engagement. Well, personal engagement is very, very important, especially in this day and age where you have you have rhetoric. Rhetoric is, is present everywhere. There's demonization constantly. Mm -hmm. People are being urged to engage in this and that, and people eventually tune out because all, all the causes use the same uh, bellicose rhetoric. And what yeah. we want to do is, poetry, yes, is uh, both individual and and very, very common at the same time. You're reading lines that most people have read, and uh, mm -hmm. even though you give your personal representation of it, your personal understanding of the poem goes into the general understanding of, of, of the mm -hmm. piece. So it's a great way to connect and bring uh, light to human rights issues and the theme of genocide. And for people who want to kind of you know write these poems, and where would where would they go to, I guess, submit it? Yeah, so the link to the submissions, the submissions are free, is available on our on our blog, which is asaubc.wordpress.com. Mm -hmm. And the deadline, again, is on March the 20th, and it's an online submission. And for the pieces, um, since the main theme is about something that's very kind of like hard to talk about, really just like a dark kind of period in in history that's still you know the effects of it still being felt today in the present what are you what's the judging criteria for that for people who might be interested and want to know well there's uh, there's definitely the literary aspect so we mm -hmm. want to see pieces that are well written that are properly written that express all the anger um and the resentment and, and the frustration and the sorrow but we're, but we're also very much looking at at the message you know um mm -hmm. since it's a very deeply personal issue uh, and it's about giving voice to people who don't have any uh, mm -hmm. We want to hear it. We want to hear your voice. We want to see your engagement. Mm -hmm. Definitely, is to is to provide an outlet for those who've been oppressed and silenced. Absolutely, we're speaking for them. Mm -hmm. And just so people are aware of, you do have prizes which will be given on the 29th. What is the first uh, first place prize for people who might be interested in doing this? Absolutely. So we're very happy to announce that we found the resources very much thanks to the Armenian Centennial Committee mm -hmm. of Vancouver. Uh, who decided to sponsor the prize and, and the event. Uh, so the first prize will, the person who, win, who takes first pli prize will win $200. Wow. 
and we have uh, lesser prices, which we're not going to disclose at this time for second. Of course, of course, we'll have people kind of like be curious on what they are, what it is. Uh, again, this is for a poetry competition held by the Armenian Students Association, and. Um, if, if, for instance, after you finish your um, your poetry thing, what are some other things that you know people can kind of, if they're interested, what are some other things that you're doing? Yeah, so we have a very interesting project coming up that's that's mostly in the in the alpha stage, I'd say, uh, of mm-hmm. development. Um, we we want to provide a translation of, um, of of a book by an Azerbaijani dissident mm-hmm. um, who was silenced for for calling for reconciliation with the Armenians. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, the government of Azerbaijan is extremely repressive. It's uh, it's one of the only remaining dictatorships in in what is former what is the former Soviet Union. Um, journalists are are routinely rounded up and murdered, and a lot of them end up in jail. So um, there's no English translation of of the book by the author Akram Ilyasi, who who who's one of the greatest poets, uh, greatest writers of in the Azerbaijani language. Um, so what we want is people who might have um, who might have backgrounds in translation, and we have a copy of the book, which is very rare to find, but it's in Russian. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so if you speak Russian and you want to help translate, yeah, you know, just saying, the Armenian Students Association wants you. That's great, um, Avidas. I actually have a question for you. Have Have you found? Um, Many people who are of not of Armenian descent joining the club mm-hmm. because of maybe the the issues that you're bringing up resonating with them, or uh, is that something you guys look to improve? Uh, yeah, getting people who um, may just feel politically like this is this is my you know this is this is also my voice and this is also something I resonate with. Well, the res- uh, the shift towards more political and historical. Um, focus of the club and engagement in wider uh, human rights issues is fairly recent. Mm. recent so mm-hmm. we haven't had time to resonate with the, with the wider UBC public. But we do have people from, uh, from different nationalities who take interest in Armenian culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are from Iran, which, is, which, which are mainly interested because both the Armenians and the Persians share a very, very long history mm-hmm. going back to thousands of years. Uh, even though they, uh, they somewhat diverged on uh, at a certain period, Armenia became Christian and um, Persia became Muslim. But even then, even after after centuries, we share a very common bond in terms of shared history and shared culture. So mm-hmm. that's that we have people from uh, from from Persian backgrounds looking and being interested in our club activities. Well, I think that's really great. And again, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. That was, um, uh, once again, this is a poetry competition held by the Armenian Students Association. March 20th is the deadline. It is online at asaubc.wordpress.com. Thank you for uh, joining us today, Avidas. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. All right, we're just going to take a quick little PSA break, and then we'll be right back with more Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. So don't go anywhere. You really want to know what love is? Yeah. Yes, tell us. More than anything in the world, Ron. Well, it's really quite simple. It's kind of like... 
Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. My motto's always been, when it's right, it's right. Why wait until the middle of a cold, dark night? When everything's a little clearer in the light of day. And we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking I'm just working on my appetite Looking forward to a little afternoon delight Rubbing sticks and stones together make the sparks ignite And the thought of loving you is getting so exciting Skyrockets in flight Afternoon delight Do you know what love is? I do. It's CITR Radio 101.9 FM You guys have it, I think Afternoon delight This is the sound of compost and recyclables going into the garbage. Garbage that ends up in the landfill creating greenhouse gases. This is the sound of a more sustainable campus. You can make a difference when you sort it out. Learn more at sustain.ubc.ca slash sort it out. All right, welcome back to the Arts Report. So now I'm just going to talk a little bit about transmigration. So Coming to the Cult is a visually impactful dance performance by the Kahawi Dance Theatre, a company based in Toronto, Ontario. They're intermingling of Indigenous and contemporary dance to bring an evocative story in their theatrical productions is exemplified in transmigration, which is Coming to the Cult. Uh, based on the art of Ojibwe shaman artist Norval Morisot, an Aboriginal Canadian artist, we have a show that, you know, responds artistically to both the artist's work, his paintings on stage, as well as his life. So one thing about Norval Morisot, he's known as a Copper Thunderbird and the Picasso of the North. He painted works of Ojibwe legends and the tense kind of cultural, political, uh, kind of like things happening between Native Canadian and European traditions. And he showed spirituality and mysticism in his art. He was a member of the uh, of a group called the Indian Group of Seven, and he's the founder of the Woodland School of Canadian Art. The style is like known to be also called legend or medicine painting. So what they do in this kind of particular art style if you ever want to check it out on google too it's called woodlands um woodlands art style it is emphasizing outlines and x-ray kind of view of people animals and plant life and it uses really bright bold colors which kind of adds like a spiritness to the pieces and it utilizes the energy of color so i had the privilege of speaking with kahawi dance theater's founding artistic director santi smith and she's also the choreographer and led the design and interpretation of transmigration. And we talked about how Norval Morisot's work shaped the, theat- uh, the theatrical piece as well as their own experiences. All right. Joined by artistic director Santi Smith and Whitehorse, and this is about Kahawi's Dance Theater's Transmigration. Thank you so much for joining me, Santi. How are you doing? Great. It's great to be out west in our first time in uh, Yellowknife, White Horse, in our first time presenting a major work in Vancouver. And I heard that you've actually done transmigration before, is that correct? 
Yeah, we premiered in Toronto in 2012 mm-hmm. as a co-production with the Harborfront Centre, Planet Indigenous. Well, I just wanted to ask a few questions. I've gone and researched Mr. Norval Morso's art, and I've seen this Woodlands style. And mm-hmm. like, tell me, how did you interpret those like really strong lines and those like really bright, almost like the colors don't even match like the 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 things that he's depicting. They're very, I guess, artistically liberated. How did you kind of interpret those visual mm-hmm. words into a dance performance? Well. As you did, I, I studied a lot of Norvell's work. Mm-hmm. I was exposed to him as a young um, child. My parents uh, are artists, so oh, wow. um, yeah, mm-hmm. so visual artists. So I've you know been exposed to a lot of First Nations pioneering artists, um, Daphne Ojig, Norvell more so, um, Benjamin Chichi. So uh, I grew up sort of looking to those artists for inspiration and Norval being for me the most um, prominent because of the use of his colors and um, also what he was depicting his symbolism and connection to his Ojibwe stories but also um, really expressing a contemporary um, um, interpretation in his own work. Yes, I understand that your choreography utilizes both traditional and contemporary dance techniques and which techniques are highlighted in transmigration? Well, um, uh, because uh, Norval was Ojibwe, we're, we, and that's more, well, c- contemporary now in the contemporary realm, it's more of a um, powwow influence. I see. So we have um, that influence coming in more from the traditional uh, side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, my background is Ongwehoe, Mohawk, so we have a very different style of of um, traditional song and dance. So this one here is more representing an, a contemporary version of of um, uh, Ojibwe uh, song and dance, although it's completely contemporary. It's not really. It is not really. Um, any specific traditional dance in, in the work. Um, and then we, taking inspiration from the woodland style, many artists um, prior, uh, around the time of Narval and then after have been influenced by the, the woodland style of eastern, um, uh, eastern um, Ontario area, uh, eastern Canada. And um, so when we interpret it, we're using very similar color schemes. Mm-hmm. We're not using actual Norvell um, works, so it's an interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm an artist, I'm a designer, so all the designing and the visuals come from my my design, oh, uh, wow. inspired by Nor inspired by Norvell's um, paintings and themes of Thunderbird and Serpent and and uh, the transformation between um, animals and uh, human form, animal form. Is that the reason why you decided to uh, name the piece Transmigration? This kind of mm-hmm. like, um, you're, not, you're not kind of physically restrained by your body, that you have some sort of, um, I guess, something more than just this like physical being? Yes, moving through, mm-hmm. um, transforming, moving through, transmigrating through form and shape and um, 
spirit, yes. Um, and that's a major theme of Norvell's work and a major theme of transmigration is that transformation. Um, the main character who represents Norvell, uh, Billy Morasti, he's an actor, but he's, you know, also included in the, in the dance, follows one of Norvell's major um, panel series called Man into Thunderbird. So throughout the whole piece, um, his character transforms um, from man into a thunderbird, and so that is very specifically inspired by a, a work of Norvell's. And um, so everything, everything that's within transmigration mm-hmm. is a very specific, meaningful connection to either his work or um, aspects of his life. I had a, a, a bit of a question, especially that aspect of his life. I know that your show is a response to Norvell, and one of the things I wanted to know about was his art also depicted a very tense cultural political spheres between Native Canadians and European traditions, and how has transmigration kind of uh, tackled that issue, or how did you interpret that part of Norvell's life? Well, um, like I said, like you mentioned as well, it's a response, it's a dialogue, um, it's not a biography, um, um, and it's uh, inspired by. So what I've done is taken um, key sort of milestones or what I feel are key events that mm-hmm. um, themes that happened um, either through his work or his life. And so we do um, depict um, residential school influence. Uh, we do depict um, his extreme rise to fame and the consequences of that. We depict his internal battle between Thunderbird and Serpent, almost like the you know the yin and the yang, the positive, oh, yeah. the negative. So we we go into those areas of. Um, you know, the darker aspects of his life. And he was very vocal in interviews and um, and even in his work about his own demons Mm -hmm. and those being either the people who wanted something from him, uh, money from his paintings, uh, a piece of him, a piece of his uh, culture, a piece of who he was. Um, And then also that affects the the effects of him through, you know, homelessness and alcoholism yeah yeah exposure and then having to deal with all these kind of external stressors on and as you mentioned the alcoholism Mm -hmm. yeah so we go through a range and and despite all of that and even despite all the you know he's a human being uh so we try to give the the full range of um uh, everybody has their, you know, struggles and battles, and but despite all of that, and even through his work, he talked about it being healing, and that um, the colors, in fact, that he used, he viewed as uh, healing just by looking at these colors that you um, has has an effect on the yeah. on, on the uh, I, I totally person agree. viewing. Yeah, I've seen the works, and they're they're kind of like there's like a liveliness to the pieces. There is, there's a vibrancy. Yeah. I had the when I was researching, I had the opportunity uh, at the time go to the National Art Gallery in Ottawa when they had his big uh, retrospective exhibit on with the large scale murals. And how did you and feel about the? Experience? I the the paintings were bouncing off the wall. Like that's how much um, mm-hmm. energy was coming from them just merely by the colors and I've never had that experience before where I've gone in to look at a painting and then I feel like there's energy bouncing uh, off the painting so it was really it was a real amazing and profound experience for me to see all of his work in one spot. Well that's really really great to hear and um, I know 
for sure that as a uh, as a student here at UBC and we are on unceded uh, native territory and stuff like that, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed is, is that not a lot of people understand um, native art, like they don't go out to search for it and it is like really, really amazing to look at all this like rich mm-hmm. culture and history. In regards to that, how do you feel about the indigenous identity in today's current media? Um, in current media, I mean, I don't. I that's really a, a, a for me a really big, you know, like I, I can't comment on like such a big uh, scale mm-hmm. of things. But um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I chose to uh, represent or honor. Um, Norval and his work is because it is impactful, and and his work is what we would call work that originates from this land and from uh, Turtle Island, and and in the same way as the work that Kahawi Dance Theater is doing is work that is the voice of this land um, through our our contemporary, even in our contemporary interpretation so when people say what makes your company distinct or what you know what's your style and I I more now um, identifying that the work is actually really from this land the voice of this land the voice of the people so in terms of media I mean it's so expansive I think more and more exposure and more and more voice Mm-hmm. to issues, whether they're political or artistic. And artists, art is a, a great way of um, sending out messages and connecting with people uh, universally um, for understanding that, that it's uh, one, of the, one of the ways that I, I feel that I can um, represent my own culture and, and um, some of the richness of Indigenous First Nations culture. Yes, I actually wanted to comment on that. I actually, uh, I find that transmigration, all these contemporary pieces coming from Native, you know, backgrounds, I feel that they're very revolutionary, and I think more people should be searching out for them. Sometimes um, people think that it's only, like, all this, like, Native tradition, Indigenous kind of culture should only be enjoyed by Indigenous people, and I feel Mm -hmm. that um, if we already have that kind of, like, feeling of this is not for us, that kind of thing, we'll never really get to heal. It's mm-hmm. always good to see the the present for what it is. Of course, you know, the, the past is something that we can't change, but this idea that you have of, you know, this healing that um, Norval also is very, um, I guess, focused on, I, I mm-hmm. really, really uh, feel that what you're doing is really great. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a great, um, uh, we have a great cast of artists and um, crew, so our team is really uh, strong, is really excited about sharing the work, and um, so it, it's it's been a really positive experience so far, and for people who don't know Norvell, who have the first time um, exposure to his work and uh, knowing a little bit about him, um, it's great because then, yeah, people have responded and said, oh, wow, like I didn't even know about this person and his art and the impact it, that it has. So they're, you know, they've discovered something new. And for those who already know or are familiar with his work, it's just uh, enriching and being able to have a little bit of the embodied storytelling of his work come to life. I see. 
So what do you hope for that uh, viewers to take away from the piece when it is in Vancouver? I believe it's March 17 to the 21st at the Kulch Theater. Um, mm -hmm. I understand from the amazing photos that I've seen, and I think that you have like a, I think they have like a clip that you can see mm -hmm. from, I believe, your 2012 show that it yeah. is like a complete visual masterpiece. Like when I saw the mm -hmm. little clip, I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's <laughs> only like two, three minutes. I believe, yeah. I believe yeah. the entire show is like around 80 minutes or so. Like, oh, Yeah, two X. Like I know for sure that the wow factor is completely there, but what do you also hope mm -hmm. for viewers to take with them, not only just this like amazing kind of expansion of performance art, but something a little deeper? Well, I think what we, we're presenting is very multi-layered and cinematic. So I think people, um, you know, people will usually go away uh, a little bit overwhelmed <laughs> in a good way, in not a good bad way, hopefully, in a good way, because it, it's a surreal, it's a surreal experience because, um, you know, it's got all of the imagery and the colors that um, uh, Norvell worked with. Um, it has those really strong themes of positive and negative and you get to see a journey uh, of, of the the main character and the trials and the um, triumphs so it's um and then and then that sort of uh overarching um i don't say i wouldn't say somebody would become healed after that but no, there's course, there's a sense of there's a sense of um um, expansiveness and in, in, in mm -hmm. sense of the 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 energy that's coming from the piece. And I believe that you have a talk back on the eight on March eighteenth and the twenty uh, first. Those two productions, is that correct? Yes. And will you also be present at those? Yes, I think most I will be there, and then some of the cast will be there as well. Um, Billy Morasti um, is um, playing the main character, and he has a lot of. Um, experience and knowledge about Norvella, having also um, uh, worked on a play that was inspired by Norvell as well. So he's very knowledgeable about um, him, so he's got some great uh, stories to tell. All right, well, great. I'm super excited about uh, Transmigration. Again, for everyone listening, it will be on March uh, 17th to the 21st at the Historic Theatre at the Colch. It is at 8 p.m. for the 17th to the, the uh, 21st. And I believe there's also a 2 p.m. show on the 21st. So yes. again, thank you so much for joining me. That was uh, Artistic Director Santi Smith. Yeah, thank you. We're looking forward to it. All right. All right, hi, welcome back to the Arts Report. So that was about a little about transmigration. Now we're going to have a coverage of, of Raw Vancouver. This is their uh, show for, I believe, um, uh, Raw Grandeur. And that's from our arts reporter, uh, Lola. Much like the name says, it's Raw. We're at Raw Grandeur. Today we're at the Raw event, showcasing awesome artists. The art event, Raw Grandeur, transforms the 560 nightclub on Seymour Street, downtown Vancouver, into a creative's paradise, as artists of all forms and shapes take residence in three main lounge areas for a night of pure artistic magic. It's Thursday night, a few minutes after 7 p.m. The doors are open. It's instantly clear that people in Vancouver 
love their art. You've got young people, old people, everybody's kind of out. Hordes of spectators float from room to room as if in a daze, looking transfixed and amazed. It's energetic, it's fun. Energetic and fun. So far it's fun. Very happy to be a part of this. This is actually really great. It's really cool. It should be an interesting night. Artists are standing by their creations with welcoming smiles. Just one bold, about five feet five, red hair, red lipstick, in a simple black dress carefully adorned with a gold necklace, stands by her wall of paintings. She has been crafting her art for more than 20 years. She says she works with anything she can get her hands on. These ones here are watercolor. I've got impasto acrylic painting, ink sketches. There's a few oils down at the bottom. There's something fanciful about tonight's collection. It exudes a dreamlike element she loves. Listen to her describe that. Songbird is sort of a whimsical creature. The bottom of it is very like feathery, soft and flowy. I have an alien in a nightgown. I've got a vulture wearing a crown and a dress. The serpent um, is a masked underwater mermaid wearing an eel as a boa. She's got clownfish in her dress. She takes inspiration from stories, myths, and legends, such as Norse mythology. They're called the Norns. There's three women who live at the bottom of these wells, and they determine fate and destiny and people's lives. And in this picture, it's depicting how they spread someone's life out and they cut it when it's in. For artists like Jess, events like this are crucial for upcoming or what she calls starving artists to network and gain exposure. She says this show is different. It brings together diverse creatives. Makeup artists, fashion designers, you know, portrait painters, and then my kooky art. So it all works, right? Malawian-born artist Fatima Taja Olsen stands out in the crowd. Reddish gold curly hair, fierce green, red, and black eye makeup gives her a striking look that complements her animal print silk dress. And then she smiles, and the feral illusion is broken. Across from her is a wall of tribal face paintings with Taja as artist and star. I'm African, so I'm really inspired by tribes and facial structures. She paints these intricate designs on her face, photographs them, and transfers it to canvas. She says she never starts with a plan. I never have a plan. I just paint. I never know where it's going to take me. Even when she makes mistakes. I just keep going. Never like erase things. I just keep going and going like Her paintings are bold, colorful, and captivating, and sometimes painful. It hurt. <laughs> That's in reference to a procedure that involved letting clay dry on her face and slowly peeling it off. It's not just art, it's commitment. My shoot will start at 7 a.m. and will be finished at 4 a.m. The result is spectacular. I just sold a painting, so yeah. Yay! <laughs> is it already gone? Yeah, it's right it... here. Oh, this yeah, one's yeah, gone. gone. As her first sale of the night, the pain is well worth it. Eliane, a guest here tonight, echoes the same sentiments we've heard all night. She says raw is incredibly important because it supports the fresh, upcoming artists. Artists who haven't quite gotten their foot in the fields yet, and that's important and she likes what she sees it's been pretty cool just walking around and what i've seen so far performers and paintings and makeup and the models themselves are also artists because they have to project what's been painted onto them models like verdan evans i 
to identify myself as an artist with different mediums. I'm body painted right now as a warrior space priestess, I guess you would call it. Covered in all black with some very awesome silver highlights and I'm feeling fabulous right now. And very evil at the same time. It's very hard to stay in character. My main focus was to creep people out. That was really my main focus and I figured the best way to do it is to be as awkward and silent and still as possible. I think I succeeded. I freaked quite a few people out. People thought I was a statue so I think the job was well done. In another part of the lounge, Joshua Walla painstakingly dabs layers of white powder onto a male model's body covering almost every inch. He is a makeup artist. I do all kinds of makeup ranging from fashion and special effects work as well. Today he's body painting. His current painting takes inspiration from X-Ray, a book by makeup artist Francois Nars. From the cover it's it's kind of cyborg alien-esque robotic so I'm kind of doing that and having like an angelic feel to it as well. His first subject is scary. It's kind of a demon inspired by Darth Maul from Star Wars. His model is red and black from head to toe, looking like a slender copy of Hellboy with short horns and a stark stare. From the devilesque look to an angelic display, Joshua offers two contrasting looks. So that's why one's really dark and then the other one's going to be very light. The first painting took seven hours. He's about halfway with his angel. With hardly any breaks in between, he gets by with huge doses of... A lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's your best friend when it comes to this kind of thing. He says raw is great because it gives him a rare opportunity to connect with other artists. Organizers were busy doing what they do best, organizing and couldn't stop to chat. But on their website, they say RAW has a mission to support, inspire, and cultivate creativity. They aim to provide emerging independent artists with key tools and resources and the exposure they need. RAW events include all genres from visual arts, music, independent film, fashion, performing arts, hairstyling, makeup artistry, and much more. RAW operates in cities across the US, Australia, Canada, and the UK. From the turnout tonight, it's certainly an event appreciated by both artists and patrons. Giving a chance for artists to really show what they do, because it takes a lot of work and a lot of energy. Like, it's just not, it doesn't come easy. So far, I'm, I'm really digging it. Yeah. I'm Lolly reporting for CITR 101.9 FM. All right, so welcome back. That was Lolly with uh, the Raw, and we're now going to talk a little bit about um, what Jacob has done for the Arts Report. He's doing yeah. an interview, and this is for the play Harvey. So, do you know a little bit about the play? Actually, I do. I was just about to say, if it's the Harvey I'm thinking of, uh, it's a play about uh, a giant rabbit. That huh. a man cannot actually he 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 sees this rabbit, but nobody else can. Okay. And uh, the play is basically about oh, is he is he insane or is everyone around him just thinking that he's insane? Because in every other way he seems mm -hmm. normal, but it's only when it comes to seeing this giant rabbit. This giant rabbit. All right. Yeah. Great. <laughs> that's it, uh, Jacob Gershkovich about Harvey being uh, performed at King David High School. Yeah, and it was 
actually that's where I performed it, not at King David but at oh, high okay. school in high school I okay. performed it at Churchill so I guess this is a popular play for uh, high school theater yeah so Jacob Gershkovitz uh, will take it away uh, with his report on Harvey Jacob from CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver I'm here with my good friend Aaron Rosenberg from King David High School he is a drama teacher there and also an English teacher Aaron is going to be putting on a play called Harvey with his drama class. And Aaron, when is that happening? The play will be on March 17th and 18th at 7 p.m. at the Norman Rothstein Theatre on 41st and Oak. And if you want more information or to get tickets, you can go to kdhs.org. And tell us a little bit about the play. Uh, The play Harvey was written by Mary Chase in the 40s, but it's still quite relevant today. It's uh, about a guy named Elwood P. Dowd who sees an imaginary rabbit, a a six-and-a-half-foot-tall puka, as he calls the rabbit. And his family, especially his sister, Veda Louise, really gets upset about the fact that he has this imaginary rabbit friend. And so they want, Veda and her family want to get Elwood uh, institutionalized and sent away so that they don't have to deal with his antics. But as the play progresses, they realize the consequences of sending someone to a mental hospital. And by the end, they make an interesting decision as to what or how to handle the eccentricities of Elwood. And why did you choose this particular play? The decision to do the play Harvey actually came from the students. The uh, play was put on by one of our our students, one of the actors' father, when he was in high school. And uh, so this student was the one who suggested it. And then after we watched some clips on YouTube of the guy from the Big Bang Theory in a New York production of the show, uh, the students all agreed that they thought it was funny and also had some meaningful and profound ideas about mental difference and about uh, gender that they would, were interested in exploring further. And this is your first time putting on a production like this, correct? Uh, Yeah, this is my first time as the lead director on a high school production. I've been involved in supporting roles in the past, but it's been pretty exciting and uh, interesting to have to deal with all the different aspects of the play, from the actors to the set designers to parent volunteers to backstage people to the marketing to the administrative parts of it. So it's been uh, quite a process. And I understand that we're about to go have a class discussion with some of the actors and learn more about the play from their perspective. Yeah, we're going to have a conversation with the actors, and it'll show you that um, they're, not, they're not the typical group of actors who just want to be directed and do whatever the director says. They really want to understand and unpack the roles and think critically about why their characters are doing what they're doing. So it's uh, more than just an exercise in acting, working with this group. It's also an exercise in literary exploration. Okay, well, Aaron, thank you very much. Um, the play is called Harvey. It's on March 17th to 18th. And where again? It's at the Norman Rothstein Theater, which is in the Jewish Community Center on 41st and Oak. Maybe we can even just go around. I'm sure everyone has some idea of why they're involved in theater. Maybe an early experience with theater or the pressure of your mother. Daniel? Yeah. How did you get involved in theater, Daniel? I was a bit of a drama queen when I was little, and my parents pressured me into doing the play when I was in grade seven. So, yeah. Nice. Matan, what about what about you? I know that uh, this play has has interesting family significance for you. Oh uh, yeah, it does. Um, when I was a couple years younger, me and my dad went to see this play at the Vancouver Metro, and um, I really enjoyed seeing it. And so when you when uh, when you needed um, a play. I said, oh, why don't we do Harvey? I'm really glad that you actually enjoyed it. And uh, what's the family connection for, for you for Harvey? Um, 
Well, like me and me and my dad just saw it. I only. Oh, I did in high school. Oh, he did it in high school. <laughs> he did it in high school. And then we saw it at the metro, and I just I just fell in love with it as the same way he did it. I guess. So uh, the fact that the play, how long ago were you in high school, Michael? Oh, jeez. <laughs> we'll say ten years at least. Oh yeah, at least. <laughs> okay. So what about uh, this? Anyone can answer this question. What about this play? Do you think makes it so that people could be performing it? 20, 30 years ago, and uh, still performing it today. Like, I feel like um, a lot of problems, like now in today's time, like we get a lot of technology and stuff, but like mental illness is something that will never be, like it will always still happen, and it's something that maybe in some someday it will be changed, but it's going to be very hard, and we ha- still have to be aware of mental illness, I think. What do you think this play's comment on mental illness is? What do you think it's trying to say about mental illness? And I, I think one of the main points made throughout the play is that this line comes up, up a few times in uh, my character, Veda's role. She says, it's not Elwood's fault. So the mental illness that he has is um, not his fault. He didn't bring it on himself. Um, and I think that's one of the main issues that we have in society today is that we um, somehow put um, the blame of having mental illness on the person that is having it, and that's not necessarily the case. Do we think um, that there's an idea that the playwright says that this mental illness has to do with drama, that perhaps Elwood's character, and we haven't really talked about this as a cast very much, but the idea that perhaps Elwood's character had some sort of wartime trauma, like had a bad experience as a soldier, and that's why he has to deal with things in this way by having an imaginary friend. Does it seem like those types of issues are still relevant to our society today? Very, why do you think so? Well, this, this, like, this war is still a huge problem in the world. Like Every like year there's, there's bombs being dropped in Israel and there's retaliation and there's a lot of debate between the United Nations on what to do on this or that. So. It's just it's an ongoing problem, and it's a problem that's been around since the beginning of mankind. So. One of the big themes in the play has to do with uh, gender and has to do with the role the different people are supposed to play if they're a boy or a girl, like Maddie's character and the way that he's his whole role in the in the play is to find a, a partner, find somebody to to be with intimately. Uh, and in the real play or in the original, that was a girl's character, but we've changed it to a boy's character. Do you think that the concerns about gender have changed in the last 50 years or 60 years since the play was written? I think that the fact that we recognize that Maddie playing a part of a girl and having that expectation of marrying off and like finding that person to spend their life is, the fact that we recognize that that's a thing shows that, yes, there are still um, stereotypes like that um, in our society today. In the play, the um, male characters are often the ones who have the more authoritative roles in society, whereas we've switched it so that some of those roles are now for for women characters. Uh, For example, the main doctor role is now played by a woman instead of a man, and Michelle's role, which is the strong man in the Institute, is played by a woman instead of a man. Uh, What do you think is the effect, maybe, Michelle, of having these more conventionally like masculine roles played by women? Reading the script and seeing that, like, it clearly is made for a man, it's, as a woman, it's like, whoa, like, I have to play this kind of masculine but feminine, in a way, woman. Um, I think it's 
weird looking at how we change, but it's impressive in a way how we how we create an a message that wasn't originally made for the play, but we make a message for the audience to know that there are that women have a power in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Michael, do you want to comment on what it's what you think is different about doing a play this play today and versus what it was like when you were doing it? Like what how society sees things differently in that time? Maybe it's a. I think, I think that um, first of all, I'm surprised because Michelle is playing the same character I played, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I played it hard. And I was I was directed to play it hard, um, so I, I think I think her take on it's going to be interesting. I think that um, I just want to touch back on the mental illness aspect, though. I don't think the play is so much directed towards mental illness. In my opinion, I do, I never considered Elwood as having a mental illness. I considered Elwood as being childlike in the fact that he had an imaginary friend that he kept with him for his entire life. And I think that was very endearing about the play. I, I like that fact that, that he was comfortable enough in, in his personality that, that he didn't see anything wrong with it. And it was, I think the most disturbing part of the play was no one, no, none of the other characters would let him be because they weren't willing to to go that far outside the, of their own personal boxes to try and understand it, right? I think I think that approaching the play as a as, as a play about mental illness is is maybe not the best aspect. I think you should try and approach the play from a from a, a point of view as we all still have an inner child inside of us, whether we're in high school or whether we're much past high school um, and and that's a good part of us and and it should be allowed to to come out and and grow and and to to and for people to be able to deal with it without being labeled that's an interesting question to ask the cast do you feel like Elwood has a mental illness or is he just uh, is he just more carefree or more childlike in his uh, the way he behaves with with Harvey to be honest, I hadn't really thought about it until you said, you know, maybe he does have a mental illness. Um. <laughs> yeah, same. Like, I didn't really think about him being very childlike because everyone else, uh, the rest of the cast, like, the rest of the characters always thought, oh, he has this imaginary friend. Well, Elwood must be sick. He must have a mental illness. I didn't even think that he just might be childlike. That's an interesting take on it. Since, like, the play is set in in a mental hospital, like, I guess you are kind of obligated to think that um, he has a mental illness, but I I never thought about him having just a childlike person. I don't think he's either childish or mentally ill. Like, he says in in the play that for years I was smart. I recommend being uh, kind. I think he just realized it doesn't really matter whether or not he has, he's a friend of somebody who doesn't exist. It's just like, it, it only really, it's a positive effect on him because he makes him happier and he makes him, it makes him kinder to other people because he's just like, he has a special connection with nobody, something that nobody else can see, so he's special, but he shares that specialness with everyone else. 
Can I ask a question? Um, do you think that the play is largely biased towards the fact that Harvey does exist or doesn't exist, or does it leave it largely up to the audience to decide? Um, I feel like it's an interesting question. Uh, the play, I think, tries to tries to show the way that everyone has mental differences, that everyone has a different way of seeing the world, and that from certain perspectives, anyone can seem like they have a mental illness, but that, that illness, from another perspective, may just be... Uh, more childlike perspective or a more open-minded perspective or a perspective that favors being kind over being smart. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that uh, Elwood's character himself is seeing an imaginary rabbit. I feel like the rabbit represents the way that everyone can have moments of delusion or moments where they see things differently than Mm -hmm. the conventional way of seeing things. Because it's weird. I never doubted for one second that Harvey didn't exist. Like, throughout the entire play when we were doing it, I didn't think that he wasn't real or that Elwood was making it up. I think by the end of the play, like, half the cast kind of... Like, half the characters think that Harvey is real because you see uh, Dr. Chumley go through this transformation of being, like, this professional, really uptight um, psychiatrist. This is kind of like... He's, he's been reduced to a, almost a psychopath because he's so obsessed with the idea that Harvey is real and Harvey can do all these magical things. And so I think that's a really interesting transformation. What about... Uh... What about the other characters in the play? Do you think the other characters in the play have mental illnesses, like in terms of just the way that they get stressed out and anxious about everything? No, I think they just get paranoid about it because it's like they live with their brother, right? So it's like they just, I don't know, like, because if you, like, think there's something there, like, you'll, like, kind of be paranoid and, like, kind of, I don't know, like, hallucinate or, what, like, see it or, like, think you're seeing it. Uh, Rachel, do you think any of the characters in the play are sane? No. <laughs> I feel like every character in the play has a huge problem in their life. Like, my character is extremely arrogant. Uh, Maddie's just trying to make everything really normal and fit with the like regular lifestyles of society. He can't let anything paranormal happen to him. Veda's extremely paranoid. Uh, so everyone has like a huge, huge problem in the play, and no one really realizes it. But they only focuses on the one, on the one person with the one problem. And maybe last question. Uh, Do you think that that message that everyone has their own way of looking at things, do you think that's more of a common or accepted message today than it would have been in the 40s when the play was written? Or do you think today people still have a hard time accepting that everyone's perspective is entitled and fair? Yeah, I think we're a lot more open-minded to differences. We're still not 100% there, but we've definitely come a long way since like the 40s or 50s. Well, considering all the history and all the things, the world events that have taken place since the 40s and 50s that have allowed us more freedom of thought and ideas that may have seemed completely and utterly like out of this world at that time, um, I think that we've come a very long way. What are, maybe one more question just about acting in general, what are some of the big challenges when it comes to doing a a play, especially with your guys' lives and how busy you all are and how, uh, you know that kind of stuff. What are some of the challenges? Maybe from each person we'll hear one one challenge of being in a school play or acting in general. Learning lines. Acting. <laughs> I guess just the commitment in general. Oh, yeah, commitment and learning lines for sure. What about for you, Aaron? 
the biggest challenge I'd say is making all the different uh, parts of the production come together from the set design to the set production to the actors to the music to all the volunteers who help backstage. It's a lot of uh, work to make sure that everyone's seeing things eye to eye and especially with so many people with very different and busy schedules, it's hard for everyone to meet on the same page at the same time. But we're getting there and it's going to be great. All right, so we're back to the arts report. So, Rohit, you listened to their experiences with Harvey. How does that differ or maybe are similar to your experiences when you did Harvey? Yeah, um, I think the kids are very engaged with it, which, uh, and, and I guess the fact that it was their choice to do the play, or at mm-hmm. least one of the, the influence of one of the cast members, uh, because of his experience seeing it and loving it uh, when he saw it at the Metro. Yeah, like, whereas for us, it was more our drama teacher's uh, <laughs> like you do choice. This. I love you, Mr. Hyde, if you're listening. But uh, it, it, it was still a, it was a fantastic play to put on. It, it has a great script. Um, it is interesting that they're doing um, a more progressive take, you could argue, mm-hmm. uh, on switching up some of the roles from uh, traditionally male roles to uh, female, now female roles. And that's, I think that's a, great decision it's it's something that'll make the play fresh um and uh and makes me want to go and actually check out the (laughs) uh the king david version of harvey uh but uh, hey in my heart i still love when i when when, uh when theater churchill did it and i still think we did a great job and uh my my performance as the cab driver uh will go down uh in the legends (laughs) all right all right so one more thing I wanted to just mention, and uh, it's it's kind of like uh, touching up on like mental illness and stuff like that, but on like a tangent. So if you walked by Irving K. Barber this week, you've noticed a group of 10 students huddled together with sleeping bags on the ground. You know, they also have like um, cardboard signs and everything. They're wearing orange. Maybe you've seen them. They're the participants for Five Days for Homeless, an initiative that was first started at the University of Alberta in 2008. Its mission is to increase awareness of homelessness in Canada and raise donations for local charities supporting homeless and at-risk youth. So the UBC um, participants are trying to raise $7,500 for the Downtown Eastside Women's Center. So the Five Days for Homeless initiative is like no way trying to live like the homeless. They're not trying to replicate their lifestyle or anything like that. And they understand that they are using their privileged position as students to gain acknowledgement and bring exposure to an issue that you know, many not, you know, they don't kind of go out of their way to talk to homeless people. Some people avoid them altogether. And because they are students and people have been going to them and asking what's going on and trying to figure out what they can do, in which not many would do that to, let's say, just some person on the street. So they're using their position as a privileged person to bring kind of exposure and awareness to this issue. So one thing about uh, them that they're doing right now is they're using all that um, all this kind of exposure and all their donations will go to support the downtown Eastside Women's Center, which will help homeless women and children. Many women are targets of domestic abuse, and they're often homeless because they have to leave this kind of abusive household. So the money will go help to uh, will go help these women and these children. So Fridays for Homeless is currently happening right outside of Irving K. Barber, and it ends on Friday. So you know, feel free to kind of like go there and actually talk to them and if you want help them reach their goal of 7500 and support the downtown east side women's center
All right. Thank you for that, Ashley. Um, and thanks to everybody listening. Uh, this is the end of our uh, Arts Report Hour here. Thank on you to all our guests and all of our interviewees. Absolutely. Uh, some great pieces uh, mm-hmm. now that we've heard from and uh, a unique fashion segment this time. Uh, Loli, if you're listening, good job. That was awesome. Uh, I learned something new about fashion. And I learned something new about Harvey. <laughs> and Harvey, yeah. And Transmigration <laughs> and the Armenian Students Association. Absolutely. Shout yeah. out. <laughs> Shout out again. Yeah, thanks again to uh, Avitas for coming in today for that interview. It was very informative and enlightening. Uh, so if you guys want to tune in next week, we got lots of great content continuing uh, to come on. Thanks to our arts reporters, hard at work, gathering some reviews and interviews. I'm just saying UBC has a lot of stuff going on. They oh, have yeah. Triumph of Love. Yeah. And they also have Suvical the Musical that's at Totem Park. Oh, cool. Yeah. I think people should check it out. Yeah, you UBC students out there, there's still entertainment on mm-hmm. our campus. You don't even have to go outside of it sometimes. Uh, you got everything you need here. Alright, uh, well, that was it. Uh, that wraps up our March eleventh uh, show, right. and I think after us is arts on air. Uh, well, they will find out who's coming up next because it's a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery. So stay right. tuned. Stay, take it easy, everybody. Uh, this is Rohit signing out, and Ashley. Bye. And till next time. Till next right. time. Be intrigued and inspired by years of research and groundbreaking ideas in a matter of minutes. Attend a three-minute thesis event on March 10th or 12th, featuring powerful research presentations from UBC graduate students in three minutes or less. Attendance is free this March 10th and 12th. Check out the website 3mt.grad.ubc.ca for event times and location. You're listening to CITR 101.9, Broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Start.
something done to me? Was there something done?